0: This is the Trauma Recovery Resilience Podcast, and this is for you if you are interested in compassion, connection, and relationships, and how we can all work together, creating services that do not add to harm, but rather seek to support recovery from it. I'm your host, Lisa Cherry, and this is your time to sit back and listen in on conversations that make a difference. Good morning, Chrissy. Hi
1: lovely, how are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. It's so lovely to see you on, um, on this video um, medium that we have, that we're really lucky that we're able to have these conversations and record them. Um, I won't, I won't um, hold up too much. I'd really like us to sort of really get into the conversation quite quickly because it's, it's been a bit of a week. Uh, and we're going to talk about exclusion today. So but before we do, I wonder, would you like to introduce yourself, what you do, and also how you know me, how we met?
1: Okay, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, let's start with how we met. So we actually did meet online on Twitter. I think, um, I don't know how, but I think we sort of from our lived experience of being in care. I think that might have been the first thing. Um, and then over the years we've met and done some lovely things together and just maintain that relationship. So it's been fantastic. And I also think it's really important, if you've been in care experience, to talk about that and show other people what is possible, just not all the negative connotations that happen a lot. So I... Um, my name is Christy Kelly, and I'm working as an um, education consultant in the arena for looked-after children. Um, I'm passionate about education because I myself grew up in care. Um, I lived in two children's homes, two foster homes. And to be honest, I wasn't really that engaged in education. I was never in trouble because I liked being at school because it was a safe place for me with my friends. But I just pretty much daydreamed and looked out the window, and which was great, you know, but um, I kind of was left to get on with it, I think, because I wasn't really causing any trouble. Um, And I didn't realise at the time, the way they were teaching me to learn, I wasn't able to learn like that, because I found out subsequently that I'm a visual learner, and that's what I need to learn. Um, So... I kind of left school, couldn't wait to get out of there into the big wide world um, with just scraping CSE, which doesn't exist, maths, because my actual teacher was like, I'm going to put you in for both exams because I think you can do it, and two GCSEs in English, and that was it. I had some other not so great grades, but um, I didn't return to education until after I'd had a child and wanted a different life. Set of circumstances for him really so
0: yeah so okay so um yeah well my um education experience is uh a bit different um just because i couldn't i you know my passion around exclusion and education um and and, and any child who particularly in this climate is trying to be a square peg trying to fit into a round hole um is very driven by my inability to really kind of manage and and function in in education with all of that other stuff going on and so i was excluded from um two schools uh in secondary schools although the first one was um wrapped up in that lovely bow that we have called managed move (laughs) and the second one was was um more to do with um Uh, a a mutual agreement coupled with a placement move that actually it probably wasn't working and then I ended up in a residential home that had a school on site and um, I think it would be ambitious to call that education Um, uh, but but, but, you know, only, only a few years later, like yourself, I really felt passionately that education was going to be the route to altering the trajectory of my adult life. And I was absolutely correct in that. Uh, and there's, there's bags and bags of research to tell us this, that, that education has that um, capability and capacity to do that for us. So like you, I'm really passionate about education. But this week's been really interesting, um, Chrissy, because school exclusion... Uh, and pipeline to prison and exclusion around um, the relationship that that has with uh, gang culture and knife crime has really been a hot topic this week and it's been really interesting looking at how that plays out from the political arena. So there's um, all the talk about more police uh, which has been really interesting because um, did you, I don't know if you saw Akala on Channel 4. Did you see Carla on Channel 4? I haven't seen it, but I, yeah, but I do love him. He
1: talks a lot of sense.
0: He's, he's an incredibly intelligent man. And on that basis alone, I, I, I want to listen to him because I'm, I'm, I'm very stimulated by intelligence. And he is incredibly intelligent. And his book is very good as well. Uh, but I, I don't want to get into plugging Carla's book right now. Um, I'm going to stay, stay on task. Stay on task um and and he was kind of saying you know we more police isn't what we need and i thought well you're you know more police doing the same thing isn't what we need but more police doing things differently um actually would be incredibly helpful in the way that some of the police services are doing around the country and then the second response um uh, is all is all about really um the educational response which is about not, um, don't blame schools. So there were lots of, um, uh, people being quite angry that schools were taking the brunt for, uh, you know, what could be described of as a social ill. And anyway, it's a really, in, I, I spent a lot of time on Twitter and it was a very interesting conversation watching yet again, people offering very, um, uncomplicated, uh, Answers to a very complex situation that, that, that straddles across community, society, and the people within it.
1: So, there's a lot in that. I mean, I um, I mean obviously I'm on the front line in a school, so my 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 kind of role is to go into school and support it's particularly looked after children, so we'll discuss that and then the wider sort of circumstances around other young people so i i go into school and i look at how the school are supporting and managing and raising attainment for looked after children but obviously within that sits the um what you spoke about managed move now personally i think it's given that managed move so we get less statistics around exclusion but that's a different you know that's a different story but the impact of a managed move, as well as the impact of a permanent exclusion, is pretty much the same from what my, my experience of seeing happens. Um, and schools have difficult time because what happens is the schools are large places huge places so when a young person is trying to self regulate or or to um support their own emotional needs if they're outside of the classroom that can cause a massive issue for those teachers or those support staff in the classroom and we all know that there's so many cuts that they don't have as many support staffs the solution that's being looked at is to take them into um, behavioral support units put them in isolation booths, which that on itself doesn't work because if you're already in a heightened state of emotional anxiety your thinking feeling connection is is not working at that time you've been triggered by something you're then alone with your with your thoughts and expected to get on with work so that's something that needs to be looked at and challenged i think i don't Think that that is a particularly helpful situation for young people to be in. Um,
0: I find it. I find it absolutely um, astounding that we're operating in an educational culture that has those uh, means of dealing with distress and behaviour that we find challenging at people's disposal. I find that frightening. That that's where we're at. Um, because I know that there are schools who do not do that. There are schools who don't exclude, they don't use um, uh, behaviour modification techniques, they don't use, I, they wouldn't dream. I mean, I know heads who would absolutely just be horrified at the idea of a, of a child going into an isolation booth. But as you quite rightly say, it's a lack of knowledge and understanding about our physiology, our development, and how we actually work, and what we need, and that does involve working, um, working very hard in what you might describe as front loading. You know, you put all the work in, and then you have the relationship, and then you can work with that. But these other methods are get them. I, I, I can't see it. Remove it. I don't have to deal with it. It's gone. But all you're doing is offering an opportunity for that to get worse.
1: And I think, you know, this is a topic that we we I spoke with the team that I work with yesterday and and we were looking, so I, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a live example of something that's actually happening at the moment. I've got a young girl, she's in year nine, she's gone in, into care recently, um, she's on something which is called a section 20, which is where she still has a her one of her parents still has some parental responsibility. She says that she likes the school She is permanently excluded but when asked, she still gave the school not permanently sorry um she had a two-day exclusion she still gave that school a seven she still feels safe in that school on some level but because they are unable to manage how she's presenting at the moment it's almost like because the teachers don't have the understanding and the resilience to support her this is, this is the solution that they, they, they're like, well, we can't deal with this. We can't deal with this, she's, she's got to go. Um, so we how we're going to look at that is we're going to invite the school and all of her teachers and the head teachers to just sit, let's have a deep conversation about, let's look at what you see her presenting like. Let's look at how we can just be in the moment with her and have a different outcome. Because the outcome will be that she will feel let. She's already been let down, and so then she's going to be let down from another place. She feels safe, Um, and then her emotional well-being from that is going to just exacerbate. And if we meet, if we always meet young people from a place of fear when they're in a place of fear, it just that's all that's going to happen. We keep we keep being in a place of fear, and you talked also about looking at um, the wider issue of when they are excluded, what happens. So we can say, um, the schools can say don't blame the schools, but we have to look at the picture of that. If a young person is either school-phobic or they're not in school um, because they've been excluded um, or they've just decided that something else is more attractive to them, where are they going to be? They're going to be out on the street. And they're going to be around the surfaces of the culture of gangs. If not in the gang, they're going to be have exposure to a lot of things that they not, not necessarily have the capacity to really understand the impact of how that is going to impact on them for the rest of their life. Because it can do. Because the thought in the moment, if we take an action on a thought in the moment, it can have a permanent... It's permanent. So if I think like... If I think, this is what I explain to young people when I work with them, I sit down, I have a conversation, and a young girl said to me, I said, what are you doing in here? She was in an isolation booth. What are you doing in here? She said, oh, well, that girl got on my nerves, so I give her a punch. I said, oh, I said, yeah, I often want to give people a good old punch. I said, oh, you know, I said, but I understand that it's a thought. And it's only if I take an action based upon a thought which is temporary that I'm going to have a permanent solution. And you could see her. I'm not saying that she'll never do that again, but you could see her almost think, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I've got the trigger, but I can, I can think about a way to self-regulate, whether that's my thinking or my breathing. Breathing is really important to teach young people. Just take a breath. And mm-hmm. um, There was a video going around. It was a wrap-up. Um, And he was talking about if we could just teach people to wait for 90 seconds, we would have a very different outcome. Imagine 90 seconds.
0: Yes, but we have we have the challenge of the people, you know, often in those in those schools where there's lots of struggles, not being afforded that opportunity to have those conversations as well. Because, you know, it starts with me uh, and it starts with you. And, you know, I absolutely agree. Having those conversations with young people, uh, somebody's got to be having them with them. There's this assumption that they're going off home and all sitting around the table and talking about, you know, how things are going and how you're feeling. And actually, those conversations might only be happening in school. So the very people who need to be having those conversations also need to be the very people who are afforded that opportunity to work through their own triggers and their own issues and their own stuff, which we all have and carry around with us, um, and I think that's been the greatest tragedy, really, of the cuts, the removal of those relationships um, that can work with children, young people that help keep them into school, that offer an opportunity to really alter the trajectory. And and I think it's been criminal, actually. Um, and I'm all for not staying in the problem. And I'm all for let's work with what we've got. Let's start now with what we've got. And I'm all for creativity. But, you know, there is a point where um, people are going to, you know, you can only thin out what you have as, mu- as much as possible. And in some, in some schools, uh, lessons have been cut, pastoral people have been cut, you know. And so I think I'm, I'm an optimist, as I say all the time, and I live in an optimistic bubble, and I believe that we are in a paradigm shift. We are being shown what does not work. We are being shown uh, what we don't want so that we can work better at getting what we do want. But we're right sat in the middle of that at the moment. That's my, That's how I'm kind of working with with what we've got. Um.
1: And I think, you know, it's very easy, isn't it, to bash a, a situation like say, oh, it's all the school's fault. I don't believe for a minute that that, that is the school's it's fault. It's, it's coming from, up, it's coming down into the school, and there's many, many amazing schools doing fantastic work. And like you said earlier, those that don't exclude and they just keep working and they keep working with the behaviour, you just see such a difference. And this isn't just about looked after children. This is about all, lots of children, we're all experiencing trauma at some point. It's not, you know, that's just the big group that I'm personally working with. But I think, you know, it's so important that we look at the wisdom and the well-being of all of the people, the staff and all of the people that are working. And I'm not just talking about teachers, I'm talking about foster carers and anyone that's a social worker or a policeman or anyone working in this situation. And even I had the opportunity to um, work with a group of care uh, care experienced young people and they were talking about... um, what was important to them, and it was written down and it was recorded on an iPod, and then somebody else um, performed it. So it's very powerful. The words are very powerful, and they presented it at the Department of Education in front of the um, the Children's Minister, just to, you know, for the impact. And a fifteen-year-old young man was saying, "What I want more than anything is for someone to look at me, see me." and give me a human connection because the statistics and all of the all of the other stuff and and the words that are banded about that that's he just wants his social worker to sit down with him or someone in his who's looking after him his foster carer give him a human connection and be able to hug him and for that and the way that that young people feedback that we give them a human connection is we real we sit down we don't i don't present myself as a professional i don't even like that word i just say listen i'm here i'm coming to have a conversation can't make you do anything you don't want to do let's just talk about that and it was just i mean for me that's the that's the proviso that we start from but i can start from there because that's when i'm feeling well and grounded and in a space where i've had an opportunity to take care of myself. But I've invested in that myself. Mm. And that's what needs to be invested in. Because even supervision for people who are working on the front line doesn't seem to really exist. So the work that you do with trauma and attachment is beyond, you know, that's what people, those are things people need to understand and, and see where that's presented in themselves. And the work I'm doing around the thought training, it's like we need for people, there's not one solution, I don't actually believe there's, there's solutions and it's something that, but I used to go for psychotherapy and at that time that helped me. Now I don't want to go back and be in that space anymore, but I don't discount that psychotherapy. It's brought me to where I am today. So I think it, personally, I believe, and I say this, that they're all our children and we all have personal and collective responsibility for what's happening.
0: I absolutely agree and um, you know like like you've just said you know there are many modalities for healing I I, I put a tweet out some I spent a lot of time on Twitter Uh, I put a tweet out a while ago um, that basically said you know I wish people would stop saying they've got the solution there isn't a solution there's as many ways to heal as there are people who need healing or want healing and I think also when you were talking about what that 15-year-old boy, and let's let's have him in the room with us for just a little while, he was talking about um, the four S's of attachment, which is Seagal's work, you know, Um, Seagal and somebody else. To be seen, safe, soothed and secure. And actually, isn't that what we all need? You know, isn't that what humans need? To be seen, to be safe, to be soothed and to feel secure. And if we can't do that in our schools, then I don't know how we can create a learning environment. We've been talking for far longer than um, we were going to, so uh, I just would really like to thank you, Chrissy. I'd love to um, check in with you again in a few months how you've been getting on. Um, So thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with me. You've been listening to the Trauma Recovery Resilience podcast with me, your host, Lisa Cherry. Brought to you straight from the heart of the knowledge that high-quality relationships are the cornerstone of learning, healing and growing. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing or reviewing. Until next time.